Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where two friends watch movies separately and talk about them together for the first time. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about a movie that was my pick. Mike had a big run of about a bunch of picks for a while, but we're going to be doing Sweet Smell of Success, uh, Alexander McKendrick's great 1957 film. I think it's great. About... Um, uh, so Sidney Falco, the, the shady press agent, sucking up to J.J. Hunsucker, the shady columnist, uh, with great performances by Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster. So I hadn't seen it for about, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years. Mike had not seen it. Really looking forward to today's show. So let's start with our opening things, our general takes on the movie. Mike, go. There is no way that this movie should work on paper. Uh, I think that the, there's such wooden dialogue. There's such unbelievable... Uh, datedness to uh, not just the things that are said, but what's done. Um, there's conventions. Um, there's uh, there's conventions like this, uh, this. A certain set of people hang out in the same bar all the time. Um, there's there's a subplot which seems like um, um, reefer madness raised to high art. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that um, there, there's a, there's there's a performance by an actress who doesn't almost doesn't say anything. And certainly has no distinguishable lines, none, what, none whatsoever. If you were tasked with um, performing a dramatic monologue uh, of of her stuff out of this movie, you'd, you'd, you could string two lines together. Maybe if that, there's so many performances that ought not to work, and yet I find that the movie, in in fact, does work. But it but it works in almost in spite, I think, of the paucity of its of its source material. It's carried by performances unless they found the right actress who could just only act with her eyes or with her face or as an really as an object um, to be objectified that that part doesn't work um, unless you find um, somebody like Tony Curtis to make moments um, when he's when this is not my moment but when he sells his friend when he pimps his friend out um, the, cigarette the, girl? Cig the cigarette girl out that's my the moment other, so we'll talk about that okay that moment there's a lot of on-screen betrayals that happen in movies. That on-screen betrayal, especially against a minor character, uh, is so odious that it, yes. that it ought not to work in any way. Um, but because it's Tony Curtis, uh, it works. Um, there, so I, I guess I'll, that's, that's my taking off point, which is if I describe this movie on paper, if I looked at it as a screenplay, the way I, I used to have a, a real copy of uh, of the Big Lebowski as a screenplay, which sure. totally works. It, yeah. it, like it'll just have you rolling on the floor laughing. Yep. Um, the screenplay of this film does not work, but there's yes. something about the actual execution of this film that holds it together. That's a good, that's really, really great because we're just used to taking the greatness of Burt Lancaster for granted, maybe a little less so with Tony Curtis. Um, but, you know, but certainly that, that's really interesting that on paper it wouldn't work. And that's interesting. That, I've always thought it'd be neat to have a film festival of movies that shouldn't work on paper, but do like um, Alien is one. I always thought of um, how funny the show Arrested Development is, but there's nothing on paper that would suggest that TV show. Absolutely not. It's about a family where everyone's crazy and it's a, it's a bad, you know, it's a bad land uh, real estate that you're like, well, that's not funny. That doesn't sound funny, but it is. I, right? I know you don't like this movie, but um, I think Moonstruck uh, works every single time that I watch it. But again, it's one where if I described it to you, if I said, well, Cher is going to play the main character uh, and she's going to fall in love with a crazed one-armed baker played by a uh, Nicolas Cage, you'd say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not watching right. that. But I feel, but I feel like the movie works 
every single time that I turn it on. And uh, that would be a great film festival, but this, this, would be, um, this would be the piece de resistance. Well, let me tell you about, about what I took about Sweet Smell of Success. Um, you know, it was great watching it again to see that, you know, the big dog, little dog stuff, how often Sydney's referred to as a dog, you know. She's, uh, you know, when I, I love what Steve says, um, the next time you want information, don't scratch for it like a dog, ask for like a man. And Susan says you're like a trained poodle and stuff. And, and I loved how he, I loved, I thought Tony Curtis was, was great. I love how he's constantly fixing his tie. It reminded me of, have you ever seen the original series of The Office with Ricky Gervais? Yes. He's constantly fixing his tie as a sign of his, his terrible insecurity. And I thought that was great that, that uh, Tony Curtis does that as well. Um, he has so many good mannerisms and things like, how, how great is it that his office is also his, where he lives with his bedroom behind it? It's great. Um, I, I can only say, there are so many odious, there's so many odious characters, right. great movie characters that nevertheless draw attention. I'm thinking of Gordon Gecko. I'm thinking of like sure. Hannibal Lecter. Um, I want bad things to happen to Tony Curtis in this role. I want, I, like, I'm, draw, I'm drawn into Sydney's desire to climb um, the, same, the same way um, that I'm, if, if a friend were pointing like, pointing the water hose with his thumb at a spider on the side of the wall. You know what I mean? You, you, right. you think to yourself, well, in the 21st century, maybe I shouldn't be watching this, but you know, you just watching it drown, um, there's, there is something nevertheless enjoyable about that. Absolutely. And I think I mean, one of the things we could talk about at the end is whether Sidney learns anything by the end, when, you know, after he gets beaten up at the, at the very end of the movie. But, you know, the other thing, so that you have the great performance by Tony Curtis. Burt Lancaster is unbelievable. And it reminded me of, I don't know if you ever read um, Neil Gabler, terrific, terrific writer. He wrote yeah. a big biography of Disney. He wrote a biography of Walter Winchell that came out in 94, which I read, which was really good. You know, the movie was modeled on Walter Winchell, mm. who was crazy about his own his daughters, who she was going to marry, and that was the JJ thing. But um, it also reminded me of something else, and I want to share a little tidbit with you about this, was um, Peter Bogdanovich once wrote a book called This Is Orson Welles. And I went through a period of my life where I just read it pretty much over and over. It's, it's exactly like The Life of Johnson, where Orson Welles is Johnson and Peter Bogdanovich is Boswell. And it's all Orson Welles just opining on everything, right? And when I watch it this time, I haven't read the book in 20 years, but I thought to myself, why, do I, why am I thinking of this? And here's what I thought of. In the book, Peter Bogdanovich asks Orson Welles about his entrance as Harry Lyme in The Third Man. Mm -hmm. And we assume all the uh, listeners out there know Harry Lyme, you know, a great 1949 movie, The Third Man. And Orson Welles, so he says, that's the most famous entrance in movie history, right? How did you do it? So in this film, in Sweet Smell, you keep waiting and waiting to meet JJ. When are you going to meet JJ? When are you so about 15 or 20 minutes go by until you meet him, right? And I thought that this film does a great thing that Orson Welles talked about. I just want to read you a little quote here. For sure. Um, Orson Welles said this about his great entrance as Harry Lyme. He says, in theater, you know, the old star actors never like to come on till the end of the first act. Mr. Wu is a classic example. I've played it once myself. All the other actors boil around the stage for about an hour, shrieking, what will happen when Mr. Wu arrives? What's he like, Mr. Wu? And so on. Finally, a great gong is beaten, and slowly, over a bridge comes Mr. Wu in full Mandarin robes. Everybody falls on their face and yells, Mr. Wu, Mr. Wu. The curtain comes down, the audience goes wild, and everybody says, isn't that guy playing Mr. Wu a great actor? That's a great part for you. And I thought that's exactly how Burt Lancaster enters the movie and sustains it the whole time. He doesn't change it. People, if, if he's not on screen, they're worrying about him. If he's not on screen, you're thinking about him. In the beginning, when you see that billboard with his eyes, it reminded me of um, like, you know, uh, the eyes, you know, Big Brother is watching you. Although in this movie, it's great because it's literally like, you know, Susan's Big Brother is watching the whole it, it, But it, it reminded me of the eyes in The Great Gatsby. Yeah, T.J. Um, Eckelberg, yeah. I thought of that yeah. too. Um, now that... Well, I'll tell you the other thing, which is um, 
Yeah. But I was going to say, let me just finish that. Let me yeah, finish. Yeah. I just want to say, it's, it reminded me like the, of The Godfather, is that every scene Brando's not in, it, he still has, a, he still casts a, a shadow over that scene, even into Godfather 2, right? So either either he's in a scene or people are talking about him or thinking about him or, or the scene's a reaction to him. And I thought that the film is so good at putting JJ at the middle of this thing where, where he sits in the middle of his spider web. You mentioned the spider. 21 is his spider in the web where he sits and flicks the little parts of the web on this little piece of paper and, and starts ruining people's lives. And I think that the movie does that in a way that I think is very, very uh, interesting. It's, a tra it's the transformation of a character into a presence. Yeah, that's um, exactly what I thought. And, and I thought what was so brilliant about the moment, there's, a, there's this trope of, um, you know, of, of, of kicking the puppy. Like when Darth, Vader is in, when Darth Vader is introduced, he's got a force crush. Somebody's throw, so, you get, you know, so you get the picture. Um, and what they do with the senator in that initial oh. scene where they, where they build him up into conversation and, and initially um, Sydney is not even allowed, he's on the yeah. edge, you know, <laughs> I've asked you to leave, whatever. And then uh, to, make, to make the senator a character but he's really only, he's, he never reoccurs. He's only oh. there so that Sydney can squish him so, we can, so that we can get a sense of who he is. Um, it's one of the more uh, beautiful, um, you know, kicking the puppy moments that I think yes. lets you know exactly uh, who JJ is as a character. But um, even if you're expecting it to happen, I just think, as you mentioned, strategically, the movie is set up in such a way that that moment is supposed to work, and it does. Yeah, it does. All right, I'll see you in segment two. Okay, great. Hi, welcome back. So in segment two, we like to talk about key moments, um, you know, that explore the, the themes of the film or, or important moments. Dan, I know you had one that you wanted to start off with. I always do, man. So here was mine for this. As I was watching this and thinking about the films that you and I have talked about together, something occurred to me. And, and, and for a second, I was like, what is this like that? I know Mike and I have talked about this already. And we don't have a word for this. We just kind of made one up. But here's what it is. My moment is when Sydney invites, you know, his friend, the cigarette girl, who's totally vulnerable, back to his office. Now she thinks she's going there to, to uh, you know, uh, you know, make hubba hubba with Sydney, but it's he's even lower than that, right? He gets Otis there, the other, the other columnist, and then makes believe he has a business meeting in the middle of the night, and she's like, "What's going on?" And you can't believe how how sleazy he is, and it reminded me of many other moments in this film where you have unbelievable suspense but it's completely character driven. And that reminded me of what we said about heat, that the reason we like heat so much is that yes, there's a lot of guns that go off and all those things, but, but as we know, there's lots of terrible movies with guns. In heat, so much of the suspense is character driven. So for this one, like when, when Otis is so creepy, you know, you're, the suspense is, is she gonna do it? Is she gonna do it? And Sydney says something like, remember you have a, you have a kid in military school, right? Mm. That was awful. And then he says like, how many drinks will it take to put you into that tropical island mood? And you're, you're dying inside and you don't know if she's gonna go through with it and then she does. Or like when, um, when uh, Sydney gets told off in the restaurant by that guy Leo in front of his own wife. And he's like, you're trying to blackmail me, right? So that, that's amazing. Um, when we don't know, like, is Susie gonna say that she loves Steve? Like, is, is Sydney gonna get that cop to beat up Steve? Um, is she going to kill herself? What's Sydney going to say to JJ when he walks in the room at the end? All, there's unbelievable suspense in this movie, but it's not about like the guy figuring out on the bomb squad which wire to cut. And it's not about um, the guy on the top floor of a skyscraper as the bad guys are running to the top. It's not that kind of, or a car chase, right? The suspense is all, it, it's like the honeymooners. It's just three people in a room. 
and, and, and the characters are so well done, even if they wouldn't work on paper, like you said, that it reminded me of Heat. And that's kind of like, that was my, that moment I think is indicative of the whole film is that it's a low budget kind of movie. It's them in New York, but, the, but it's so suspenseful. How about you? I'll, I'll pick up from there. I think the suspense is the, the suspense um, of literally how, it's, it's like an elevator car falling down the shaft of human dignity. It's like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? You're like floor five. Floor four, floor three, floor two. Dante's like, elevator. You know, how 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 low does it, the suspense for me is how low does it actually go? And you you actually mentioned my moment, which is um, neither Steve um, nor uh, JJ's sister. Uh, I, I think I think they're not supposed to have the same redemptive quality um, in the movie as for some kind of moral high ground. But there is one moment, and the one moment is um, Leo being blackmailed. Uh, with his with his wife sitting there, right. decides to come clean about the uh, d- about the cigarette girl, and and essentially says, "Hey man, I don't run pieces like that, and I mean that I don't run pieces like that in such a way that I would rather confess this thing and get out of, get out of the air than let you fire what you think is a loaded gun yeah. um, that you have pointed at me." Um, and his wife's reaction, while not realistic, is uh, she I forget what she she says. That's the she said the most clean. first first decent thing I've seen you do in a long time. But I think she says clean. She says she yeah. says something. She's she's, um, she's proud of him in a backhanded way. In a in a backhanded way, I don't think that that would be her actual you know reaction. That's <laughs> that's certainly a, it's certainly a stage reaction, but it's a, it's a stage reaction meant to be a meant to be a powerful moment, um, and and remind you. I think part of the way that the movie works again is is because it's a it's like a elevator car falling falling down a shaft. But you're you're reminded of of the way that the human that human dignity is supposed to operate um, yeah. in a certain kind of way. Like um, maybe Sydney is limitless. Some people, even if they're not great people, have limits. And so I think that that one demonstration of of limits makes the rest of the movie work a little bit better for me. Which yeah. is, by the way, followed by uh, what I see as uh, the absolute. Uh, depth of this movie which is the the scene that you mentioned with the cigarette girl and they they actually come back to back yeah yeah that's great because that only you're right the wife's reaction is is a stagey reaction but again i think what's so fascinating about that scene you picked is that we are used to we've seen a billion times we are used to the guy that the leo character caving sure like he's supposed to cave sydney's supposed to walk out of that bar knowing he has the goods on somebody and all of a sudden it doesn't work and, and you're watching the movie like what 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 this never happens. People always give it to blackmail in movies. It, it, that's how it works. This guy's not supposed to stand up and make some speech in front of his wife. That would, you know, and we say that would never happen. And then I realized that would never happen, dot, 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 in movies. But here right. it does. No, it's, but, it, but to your point about guns and, and actual action scenes, um, one action movie I've watched a thousand times is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And sure. there's an, there's an um, Im- very improbable boat chase. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, where, yep, where, I know exactly um, what you mean. I, I, it, but, you know, as, as always, um, there's Indy's boat and then there's the bad guy's boat and right. everybody's trying to squeeze through a narrow canal. And, you know, the one boat gets shoved aside and of course blows up and in the end makes it through. Yeah. But um, it's that scene, but done in terms of dignity, but in reverse. And it's Sydney's boat that hits, the, you know, that hits the side and explodes. Yeah. Um, and, and we're left to deal with the consequences of that, which are he sinks even lower, you know, yes. as you mentioned right. in, in, your, in your part. The elevator goes down one more floor. Just when you think there's no bottom, think, it goes down one you more think, floor. You think that there certainly we've we've hit it, um, but there's there's an 
escalating. There's a there's a an, an, a bottom of no return, um, you know, uh, yeah. of an ad absurdum in this movie, and there there is no bottom. No love in that elevator. All right, I'll see you in segment three. Okay. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So welcome back to segment three where we talk about the end of the film or the title or anything else that, that, um, that, that grabbed us. You know, something that you mentioned before, Mike, about, about JJ's sister is that she's completely unremarkable. And I think that's to the better. I mean, I think that makes, I mean, that makes the part even better. I mean, uh, also the fact that she speaks in baby talk. Did you notice that she speaks in baby talk for the entire movie? Yes. Um, there's a scene, um, there's a scene where JJ looks up from his desk as she enters a room and he's, got a, photo, <laughs> he's got a photograph of her on the desk. Um, and then she uh, is essentially making the exact, the exact same face. Yeah. Um, which, which for me, we've all, we all know roles uh, all through Hollywood that, that really could be played by anybody with the right face. Mm -hmm. And this is just one role where it's, it's the right face and there's literally nothing else. There's, yeah, there's the, no talent at all is brought to bear. This is, um, you know, uh, this is the absolute bare minimum in terms yeah. of acting and, and not just from that, but again, from, from the literal uh, perspective of the source material. There's nothing written for it. It's not like the, there's a great part here that's not acted. Right. Um, there's, n there's no part there. The cigarette girl is a much better part than Susan. Um, there's no, there's no small parts, only small actors, but this is a small part for a small actor. <laughs> and I, and I, I think that's all, I think that's deliberate because she's really not, I don't think Susan Hunsucker is supposed to be a person. She's JJ's sister. She, she's like, an ex, like if I, she should have on the same glasses and she should speak like him. But it just, well, but it, it's so funny because um, I've been saying JJ's sister this whole time. You reminded me it, it was Susan. You could have literally said any name and it would have, it would have, it would have struck me as probably correct. You know, I would never have corrected you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to ask you about this at the end. So, so do you think, do you think that, that the end of the film, Sydney learns anything? Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because he, well, he does have his moment where he tries to reason with, with JJ at the end and you wonder, is he going to, is he going to try to, is he going to quote unquote break up with, I mean, JJ's going to break up with him. JJ's done with Sydney. Yeah. Sydney's never going to get a client in JJ's column again, but Sydney will go on. Who knows? You know, keep trying to climb up to the top, but it's interesting. Oh. We don't get a redemption scene after he gets beat up. No, he's, he's, he's learned absolutely nothing. Um, he probably gets better than, better than he deserves. Um, you know, the, the, what it shows is really, I think that everybody somehow jumps out of that elevator that's headed for the bottom, except, except Sydney, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a crash. Um, yeah. and, and there it is. He's, so, he's, know, he's hoisted by his own petard. Is, he is indeed. He is indeed up the elevator. Um, or down the elevator in this case. So thinking about the overall issues of the movie and stuff, I, I couldn't help but think of, you know, People Magazine and, and celebrity culture in America, the, which this movie has spot on, you know? And I, and I just, I, right before we recorded, I pulled up two headlines from People Magazine. I just want you to hear these. Here's the first one. Elizabeth Hurley's lookalike son Damien shares shirtless photos from a scenic picnic with Cousin Allegra. That's the first one. And the second one is this. 
Ashley Graham's husband shot her Harper's Bazaar UK cover from quarantine on Nebraska Family Farm. So we keep seeing these, these, um, these people headlines and these tweets and stuff about what people are doing during quarantine to make celebrities seem like they're just regular folks, like us, you know what I mean? And it's amazing how like, like this movie totally exposes how the city Falcos of the world work and how good they are. But, I, but some, they are good, but uh, you get, I think in a sense, the celebrities you deserve. <laughs> you know in, in other words um i don't hear that as an indictment of culture i hear that as an indictment of me oh absolutely um, you know, or, or, or america um you know you you get you, i think you ultimately get what you deserve yeah and so that, if, we, if what if what we deserve is um is those two headlines from from people then um you know i guess i'm ready to to face the music yeah well the jj hunsucker is, is the most powerful man in, in new york because he is because they make him so because the new yorkers make him so yes um, people but, want to read and but again, as you said, it's it's a certain kind of religion, um, but it it also it takes a certain amount of buy-in. But there's real but there's real consequences. I'll take you back to one moment that I that I pointed out before, which um, he says, "And here you are, Senator. You know, you might one day be president, yeah. and you're sitting out in the open when everybody everybody knows what's going on." Yeah. Which means if he's the spider, you walked right in. You know, you walked right, right into the web. He didn't spin it around you. It just had right. to be there, and you'll come. You'll come to me. Yes, you which will is, come to me which is exactly what gets Sydney in the end, right? He spends so much time trying to get JJ to notice him that when somebody says, hey, JJ wants you to come to his house, he doesn't say who, what, where, when, yeah. what is, I, I didn't, I thought JJ was out. He just says, okay, guys, gotta go. Yeah, what's his, he didn't say what's it about, just goes, boom. Which is what, that, that's, that's essentially his, his right. undoing. It's his unthinking, unfeeling response to the pull of it, um, which I think it has to do with our pull or the pull of the people who would read those headlines seriously. Right. And, and, and those are people that like, you know, again, Sydney knows how poison everything is like, the, but, but remember what makes him turn is that he gets promised to, to do the column while JJ for three months for three months. Right. So again, as you said, the elevator goes down a little more, <laughs> it goes down a little more. Right. Cause he's, he has this moral moment where he's, I'm not going to do it. Well, what if you were in charge of the column for three months? Okay. Boom, down again. Well, did you take it? Um, I have one last question, which is, did sure. you take it that Susan set that whole scene up on purpose? It, um, or uh, do you think it, do you think it evolves that way? Because she's not, I didn't take her no, to be calculating, she, but yeah, I don't know I don't if the plot so. works if she doesn't calculate it out. No, I don't think, I, I think it just evolves that way. I think that, mm. um, I, I, I don't think she has a thought that Burt Lancaster hasn't thought three, three hours before. So I, I don't think she did it. I think she's too okay. innocent. She just, she, the whole movie is she just wants to be innocent and do the right thing. And you know, that's why I love Steve. And why can't we get married and do what we want? So I'll, so I'll ask you this, because you can't describe the, because you can't describe the movie, because I don't think it works on paper. I don't think right. it works by description. Um, you know, if, let's say you weren't doing a podcast with Othell. How would you get somebody to watch this movie? What would you say? I would say to them, that's a great question. I would say to them, um, you have to watch this. It's got great performances in it. And it's, it's not like many other movies you've seen. I mean, I, I don't know how many movies can you name about, about press agents. I, I think that it's Burt Lancaster, um, uncharacteristic of Burt Lancaster. I mean, he still has all this great, he has the great voice and chiseled features and everything like that. But he's um, much creepier here than he is, you know, certainly in From Here to Eternity or The Train or a million other great movies. No, he's, he's, un, he's unbelievably creepy. I mean, what, what works so well is um, there are certain performances that are meant to be creepy. You think of like um, Night of the Hunter, you know, where, sure. people, yeah. are, where people are cast against type, right. um, you know, to, to be a creep. Um, but I don't find that performance even, I would say, even a tenth as creepy. 
yeah. as uh, as Burt Lancaster as yeah. J.J. Hunsaker. Absolutely. And I want to leave you with one one final thing. You know what's a really cool Please. coincidence, Mike, I just learned, is that um, I, was, you know, I was reading around about the film and Roger Ebert, the, the great Roger pointed this out, was that in the movie, J.J. and his sister live on the upper floors of the Brill Building, famous building in New York, right? And that is the very building where Travis makes the call on the payphone to Betsy in Taxi Driver, asking if he got the flowers. Really? Isn't that cool? Isn't that a weird, isn't that a weird coincidence? Is it the, the most cringeworthy place in the city. Yeah, exactly. That's where the, the, the building where people go to cringe. All right. Great talk. Uh, if you haven't seen Sweet Smell of Success, or if you haven't seen a long time, please, please watch it. We, we wholeheartedly endorse it. And at the same time, please uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review and please rate the show. Let us know on Twitter what you'd like us to review. We will take all requests. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.